I want to welcome you again this Memorial Day weekend. We are so grateful for those that have paid the ultimate sacrifice for the freedoms that we enjoy as a nation. And our hearts go out to those families that have suffered loss. But we are so grateful that they were willing to pay that price for us. We are today continuing our message series called Discipleship Begins at Home. There was a young man growing up in India who was just a cricket-loving boy who often roamed the streets there in India. And one day his mom called him in to meet with the local palm reader there. The palm reader took the young man's hand and he said, Looking at your future, you will not travel far or very much in your life. That's what the lines on your hands tell me. There is no future for you abroad. Well, that young man went on to travel the world as the leading Christian apologist of our time, Ravi Zacharias. Of course, he passed away recently, but that story of Ravi's life uh, leads into something that happened later on. When he was 17, he tried to commit suicide. And it was while he was recovering from that suicide attempt in a Delhi hospital that he read the words in the Gospel of John that said this, because I live, you will also live. In response to that, understanding that message, he committed his life to Christ and he, he prayed to God that if he got out of that hospital, he would devote the rest of his life to learning the truth, proclaiming the truth, and defending the truth to others. Almost no one, when Ravi was a boy, saw that kind of life for him in the future. So here's my question for all of us today as we think about discipleship beginning at home. When we look at children, when we look at our children or other people's children, what do we see in them? What do you see in your own children? What do you see in the other children that maybe you are around or have influence over in your life? Do you see the potential that God has put in them? I want to begin today by focusing on uh, an Old Testament lady named Hannah. Hannah lived at a time where for a woman uh, who was married not to be able to bear children was a great disgrace and dishonor for her. And she was being ridiculed and tortured with the idea that, that she wasn't really the woman she ought to be. And maybe she wasn't right with God because she wasn't able to have children. And it tortured her in her mind and her heart. And she cried out to God that God would bless her with a child. And God heard her prayer and ended up blessing her with a child that we now know as Samuel. I want to pick up with part of that account of, of Hannah being so thankful to God for blessing her by answering that prayer. It's found in 1 Samuel 1, beginning with verse 21. Speaking of Hannah, it says, When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you wean him, only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, 
As surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. Can you imagine how hard this was for Hannah after spending all those years being ridiculed and feeling like she was less than what what she ought to be because she had not had a child. And she cried out to the Lord at the tabernacle there with the priest present and prayed that God would bless her with this child. And when she gets this child, her decision is the most important thing I can do now is commit this child to God. Give him to God out of love and gratitude for what God had done for her. That was the priority that she established for her life, that she wanted her son Samuel to know that he was committed to God, that that was God's will, that was God's plan. That's what Hannah wanted for him more than anything else, is that he be committed to God. Well, in this series, looking at how discipleship begins at home, I want us to spend the rest of the day thinking about how there are four key principles, four keys to this idea of discipling those that are coming behind us. It required great sacrifice for Hannah to do this in her life. And I'm convinced more than ever that for us to disciple the generations coming behind us, it's going to require great focus, great sacrifice on our part as parents, as grandparents, as Christian adults who have influence over those coming behind us, we need to get more intent about discipling those that are coming behind us. So four words, four keys. They all start with the letter P. And the first one is purpose. I want to ask another question. If I were to ask you right now, what is the number one duty of Christian parents what would you say? If you are a Christian parent or, or you're just a, a Christian adult that has influence over children, what do you see as the number one duty, the, the highest priority, the thing that is most important for you to give time and energy and effort to? You see, I want us to focus on our purpose. God had a design for the family a design for children who would be born into the world and be raised up. And his design leads to this, that they be brought to the place that they love God and they honor God. There are a lot of other things we have to do as parents, as grandparents, as, as adults to influence those kids. But what is the purpose behind it all? The ultimate purpose we need to refocus on is bringing them to love God and honor God and serve God. In Deuteronomy 6, I want to go back to a verse that I love to share at the dedication of children. We have parents at Lakeshore dedicate their children. We usually use this verse. It is such a great reminder. It's before Israel enters into the promised land, and, and God is giving the, the directions of what he wants them to do when they get there. He said this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. What's the ultimate goal that God wants us to have? Love God, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. These commandments, he said, that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then he adds this, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. 
that phrase impress them on your children. The word translated impress is a word that was often used to talk about uh, a press seal that they would use to, to imprint and impress a seal on a document. Sometimes it was on a, a clay tablet. Sometimes it was on a parchment, but it made an indention. It made an impression there because of the pressure that was applied to it. He's saying, parents, Christian adults, your highest purpose in that role is to impress upon those children these teachings of God. The will of God, the way of God, the love of God, the intent of God for their lives. That's where they need to, to be connected to understanding God's love and God's plan and God's purpose for them. That God knit them together in their mother's room and he had a plan and a purpose for their lives. And we need to make it more our purpose to be sure our children grow up with that being impressed in their hearts and their minds. Further on in the New Testament, a passage that we looked at earlier is Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Uh, it reminds us of this. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Training and instruction. He's talking about a purposeful action that we take. We have to decide as Christian adults that Part of the purpose God has for us in this world is to be sure we are training and instructing those children that are coming along behind us. It begins in the home. Fathers, this is your primary responsibility. But all of us could come around you and support and encourage that. But the place it needs to begin is right there in the home. And that word translated training is a word that was used in athletic contest. In fact, it was most often used in connection with Olympic training. That idea of ongoing, consistent uh, training that was difficult, that was hard, that was purpose and in focused training. I see many times as parents and grandparents and coaches and teachers, we are very purposeful in training our children in certain areas of their lives. I especially see it in the area of sports in our culture today. Dads and others in the child's life will, will take them out and they'll set up training routines and they'll set up a, a weight training program and maybe a special eating program for them to bulk up and, and get stronger. And we, we really have great focus and intent on training them up to be athletes. We sometimes do that with music or, or some other thing we want our child. Sometimes it's academics. We want them to excel academically. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but the number one priority is supposed to be to train them up and instruct them in the things of God in the instruction of the Lord. We have to refocus and get a greater purpose in our role as Christian adults. There is no higher purpose than this, to bring up those children to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength. So the first P, that first P is, is where we need to start. We've got to understand that's our purpose. The second P is prayer. It's prayer. Here's the thing about prayer. Prayer acknowledges our dependence on God. Part of the balance we have to keep is, as Christian adults, we're supposed to raise children to become independent of us. And that's a good thing. Sometimes we don't do a good job with that. And they, they end up not being able to get out on their own and take care of themselves like they need to and function like they need to as adults. We need to do a better job with that of, of teaching them to be independent of us 
And that's one of the hardest things as a parent is, is to actually raise them so that they don't need us as much anymore, at least not in the same way that they did growing up. But here's the thing. Just because they don't need us anymore, we don't want to miss this. We need to train them that they still need God. In fact, they're always going to need God, to be dependent upon God, God's presence, God's provision, God's power in their lives. And nothing trains that more in their heart and the mind than prayer. You see, when you pray to God, you are saying to him, I need you. I need your uh, insight. I need your wisdom. I need your provision. I need your care. I need your love. Prayer focuses that need on God. That's why Paul wrote uh, to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning with verse 16. He said, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As we're raising up those generations coming behind us, we want to create in them this consistency of the habit of prayer. Because if they will continually be a praying individual, they will continually be brought back before the throne of God regularly, every day. He says, pray continuously. It maintains that connection to the source that we need to stay connected to always. And that's God, God's provision, God's care. So we need to be consistent in that example where we are praying. We need to, as our children are growing up, we need to pray with them and for them. And they need to see us praying for each other. And they need to hear us praying for them and see us praying for them. So they know we are depending on God, even as adults, so that when they get to be adults, they'll understand they still need to have that dependence on God. Something else prayer will do for us and for them when we learn to do it consistently, is it will help us deal with our worry and our anxiety. The reason I bring that up is because recent studies have shown us that children today are more anxious than any generation of children they've ever studied before. There is a, a sense of worry and anxiousness in the hearts and the minds of more and more children. I, and I think it has a lot to do with their culture they're growing up in and with the, the media in front of them all the time and all the bad news they see and hear all the time and all the scary things they are exposed to. And many children are being raised today without any knowledge of God or connection to God. And when you don't have God and you see and hear that stuff all the time, then it creates anxiety in your life. You don't know where to go, who to turn to, what you can depend on. You don't feel safe. And so if we can raise up a generation of children that, that are consistently praying to God, connecting to Him, recognizing Him as the source, then that can alleviate that anxiety and that worry that they're dealing with. In Philippians 4, Paul said this, beginning with verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Don't you want your children to grow up with joy and rejoicing in their lives? Well, here's what he says. Here's how you do it. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. All right, so it starts with knowing God is near. He's right there for anyone and everyone who would turn to him. And then he says in verse 6, do not be anxious, okay, anxiety, worry. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's the result of doing that. If we could teach ourselves to do that more consistently, and then we could train our children to do that, here's the result. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't you want that for your kids? I know I do for my children, my grandchildren. I want it for your children. I want it for the children of our community. I want them to be able to have a, a way to find an answer to their anxieties and their worries in their lives. I know the answer to be the presence of God. And in prayer, they are consistently coming back into the presence of God. And that's where they're going to find their peace. That's where their anxieties are going to be relieved. That's where the worry is going to be dealt with. He's not saying if you're a Christian, you don't ever worry. He's saying when you worry as a Christian, you know where to go with it. You go to the Father who gave his son for you on the cross, who loved you like that, and who promises he'll never leave you or forsake you. That's what you're doing when you pray to God. You're going to that Father who cares for you like that. Surely then, whatever you're worried about, whatever you're concerned about, whatever your children are struggling with, if we could teach them to go to God with that, the God who loves them like that, and they get to know him well, then they can go with those worries and find the help that they need. And then they can have that peace of God. Well, the third P is priorities. Now, I, I spent one of the messages in this series talking about priorities, but I wanted to revisit it just for a moment because it is such a key in discipling those children that are coming behind us. And that is for us to demonstrate proper priorities and to teach them to have the right priorities. I was reminded of the story of a Super Bowl a few years back. Uh, it was a big game, of course, like it always is. The tickets had sold out well in advance. It was a complete sellout. Uh, tickets cost a fortune. They were very expensive. And there was a guy that had gone to the game. He was sitting there. There was an empty seat beside him. And uh, after everything got started, all the festivities got started, and the stadium was packed, there was just that one empty seat. And a fan sitting next to him said, uh, if you don't mind my asking, uh, is that seat not being used? And he said, no. And he said, well, well, do you know whose seat it was? He said, yes, it was my wife's. We bought the tickets well in advance, and she died. And, and so I, 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 just, I, I just knew, I just knew that that was a seat that, that, that wasn't going to be filled today. And I, and I just had to deal with that. And the guy said, well, didn't you have some other friends or family members that could use the ticket and, and, and be in that seat? He said, well, no. And he said, well, why not? He said, well, they're all at the funeral. You see, sometimes we get priorities out of order, don't we? We, get things, we put things at the top that shouldn't be at the top. And, and our children need to know what really is supposed to come first. What's the most important thing? My wife and I have this list of priorities that we established for our lives when we got married. And it was this, God first, our marriage second, and then our children were third. And, and I, I think it's important for us to understand sometimes we get those things out of order. And one of the things I, I mentioned before is in our culture, one of the keys that we've gotten out of order with our children is this, is we've allowed our children to come ahead of our marriage and those orders and that order of priorities. Uh, there's only one verse in all of Scripture that's quoted four times. I don't know if you know what it is or not, but the first time it's quoted is in Genesis 2 and verse 24. Here's the verse. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. See, that's the only verse that's repeated four times. Why is it so 
repeated in Scripture. Why is it so consistently taught? Jesus quoted this verse on several occasions when he was asked about marriage and divorce. Here's why it's such a big deal. It's because God established the family. He established it around marriage. And he established it the way he intended it to work. And he says, here's the way it's supposed to work for a family. A man, a male, leaves his father and mother, a male and female, is united to his wife. The word there is female. So you have one man and one woman united together in marriage. And they become one flesh. Now the phrase one flesh and the, and the phrase united, the word translated united, are important words. It means their relationship is cemented together. They are bonded together. And that's a unique relationship that doesn't exist with anyone else, anywhere, anytime, not even with their children. It's only said of marriage. You see, that commitment to each other in marriage is to be a higher priority than a commitment they have to any other human relationship. The only commitment above that one is their commitment to God. That's the only one. And so our children need to know that. They need to see that. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about in the beginning of this series how Abraham demonstrated that to his son Isaac when God asked him to sacrifice his son. Isaac had no doubt that the most important priority for his father was God. And so we need to get back to showing our children today that that is the most important priority. But then children do need to be a priority. We need to understand that for our children, we have to order for them what their priorities should be. They need to be taught that from their parents, from their grandparents, from other adults in the church that are Christ followers. They need to learn from all of us what those other priorities need to be in life. So let me ask you another question today. What do you want most for your children? What do you want them to have as the highest priority in their life? And for you, what is your highest priority for them? You see, for many adults today, the highest priority is, I want my children to be safe. That's not a bad thing. I want my children to grow up to be healthy and happy. That's a good thing. I want my children to get the best education they can get. Not a bad thing at all. I want my children to, to be successful, however we define that. And usually in America, it means good job, lots of money, living in a great place, right? All of those things are the American dream. Those become the, the priorities that we have for our children. But Jesus didn't say anything that, that negates how those could be good things. But he did say something that says those should not be the top priorities, in our children's lives and how we think of our children. Luke 12, verse 15, Jesus said this, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Do you think our children growing up in America really get that today? That life is not primarily all about the abundance of their possessions? You see, if they're going to grow up not believing that that's true, they're going to have to see that in us. They're going to have to hear that from us, where that's not the highest priority for us either. Nothing wrong with an abundance of possessions. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that cannot be what, what we raise children to believe life is really all about. Well, in Matthew 16, he has some, some teaching that goes right along with that, beginning with verse 25. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. And then he asks this question. 
What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and he, then He will reward each person according to what they've done. Wow. The warning is this. Don't be so concerned about the temporary things of this world that you neglect the eternal things. The eternal things have to always be the higher priority. So when we're training our children and teaching our children that are coming behind us, are we really teaching them that the highest, the highest thing, the most important thing, the highest priority is their relationship with God? It's really coming to a place where they love God the way they ought to love God. Because if they do, then they'll love others and all the other priorities will come into place in the order that they need to be in when we establish that highest priority first. It, it's like buttoning up a shirt, right? When you get the top button right, all the others line up. Well, loving and honoring God is the top button. You get that one right in the lives of your children. You make that the most important thing in your life and then teach them to make it in their lives then everything else starts lining up the way it should with our priorities. So we've got the three P's so far, purpose, prayer, priorities. I want to close with this last one, and they all are connected, and it's the pattern that we set, the pattern. I really am so thankful today for Google, uh, that you can Google things and find out how to do things. You see, I'm one of those people that when something breaks at the house or some project needs to be done, my first inclination is to try to do it myself. And I have oftentimes gotten myself in trouble trying to do something myself that I shouldn't be doing, that I really didn't know for sure how to do it the right way, how to do it well. I've gotten myself shocked a few times. I've, I've cut myself a few times. I've hurt myself in different ways trying to do something, and I wasn't doing it the right way. But now with Google, here's what I can do. I can search it and find there's so many training videos out there now where they show you and walk you through how to do something. I have been able to successfully complete several projects without injury now solely thanks to Google and the instructional videos that I found there. Well, here's the thing. We're raising up a generation of children behind us who left to themselves have no pattern to follow except what they see around them. Are we setting a pattern that we would really want them to follow when it comes to God's plan and purpose and will for their lives? Philippians 2 verse 12, he said this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, don't misunderstand that verse. He's not saying you work to earn your salvation. That's not what he's saying. Continue to work out means continue to work at bringing the purpose of your salvation to its completed intent. In other words, you're saved for a purpose, for a reason. And that is not just for you to get to heaven. It's for you to help others find their way home there too. So he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So, so now after we're saved, we have a good purpose that God has given us. And he says this, For it is God who works in you, right, to, to will and to act, to fulfill that good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. All right, so that's a good example to set, a pattern to set for our kids. 
so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then he says, here's the goal. You will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast in the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. He said, I want you to live this kind of pattern of life that you shine like stars in the middle of the darkness of the world around you. There are a lot of dark things in this world. Our children are growing up being exposed to so much darkness today. They need us to shine like stars in front of them and setting a pattern of how God's purpose for life is the best. It's where you get the greatest joy, the greatest fulfillment. It's where you have the greatest peace. And our children need to see that pattern. And we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about a pattern that when we do fail, when we do come short, we handle it the right way. We confess and we repent and we come back under the grace of God and receive that forgiveness and we start fresh and new again. They need to see that pattern being lived out in front of them. I want to close with this. This was, this was interesting to me. Last week, we looked at Eli and how he failed in raising his sons that didn't honor God. They didn't honor their father. Uh, they didn't honor others. He failed as a father. But remember, Hannah has this baby and she takes him to the tabernacle. She's going to leave him there and commit his life to God to be raised there, to grow up, to serve God there. You know whose care he comes under? Eli's. You see, God gave Eli another chance even after his failures with his own kids. He had the opportunity to influence Samuel now in a good way, in a positive way. And you know what the scripture teaches us? Eli did a good job helping raise up Samuel, Samuel to honor God and serve God. Samuel became a great leader for God. So whether you're a parent or not a parent, whether you've made mistakes in the past or not, you feel like maybe you failed in the past, starting where you are right now, if you will commit to these keys in your life and be that influence in the generations coming behind you that God wants you to be God can give you the chance to disciple those that are coming behind you but we can't forget the most important thing I want to remind you in 1 Corinthians 11 1 Paul said this follow my example as I follow the example of Christ it starts with that commitment to become a disciple yourself to start following after your rabbi your teacher Jesus Christ. If you have not made that decision yet, we want to help you with that process. We have people available right now, even while you're listening. If you comment, if you message us, we will follow up with you and help guide you in the steps you need to take to begin to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have this example from a mom who had to sacrifice greatly to commit her child to you. We thank you for Hannah's example and we thankful that you gave Eli another chance, even though he had failed in so many ways with his own kids. He was still then able to come back under your direction and guide Samuel. And Father, every one of us comes to you from a different place. We all have this, this need to be forgiven. We all have this need to have your mercy and your grace in our lives. But Father, we need to understand you give us that grace with a purpose so that we can disciple others coming behind us. Father, help us to be effective disciple makers for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.